seconds to go. Sharon dribbles into the front court, drives to the bucket, his shot, no good, put back up and in by Trayvon Scott. Cincinnati by one, Rose from half court, his yeah! shot is no good. 20, 25, toward the middle of the field with the 35, and he is gone. Trey Tucker will take it, 98 yards to the house. As Ritter catches the shotgun snap, five-step drop from the 10, fires deep down the middle of the field. Tyler Scott is open, over the shoulder, catches the 38, sprinting away from the Red Hawks, into the end zone for an 81-yard touchdown. It is a nip at night knockout. And the fans are beginning to charge the field here at Nippert Stadium. Opportunity seized as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Hello, listeners, new and old. Welcome back to your favorite Bearcats podcast, Viva La Cats. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer, and we are here to bring you the very best of the Bearcats week in and week out. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Viva La Cats Pod and follow us on Spotify, Apple Pods, or wherever you listen. And make sure to check out at UC Uniforms for all the up-to-date UniTracker info from Steve. We have a lot to cover this week, but we do have one very big special surprise for you guys. The guest that we mentioned was a possibility last week, is a reality, and we have Trayvon Scott in the house for today's episode. We'll be getting to that a little bit. We're going to quick preview you some football, and then we'll add that in for you guys there. So just stick around, and uh, you'll get to hear us talk with Trey. So starting off for tonight, CFP rankings this week. The Bearcats hold at number five. We are uh, now 10-0, only accompanied by UTSA and, of course, Georgia, sitting strong at number one. Uh, big game. This week, Oklahoma lost, and the Big 12 officially cannibalized itself. Um, And there were only winners in the top seven, which means everybody's landlocked and there's no moves, which for the Bearcats is a positive. It's better to be stagnant than to be jumped, as far as I see it. So, Steve, what do you got? How are you feeling after this week? How are you feeling about the number five? You know what? We didn't fall again, so I can't be too upset. I think... You know, it's only a matter of time before everything's going to sort itself out, and hopefully the Bearcats will find their way back into the top four. Um, I think they need to. I would like to see them do it, but I'm not going to let it stop me from enjoying the season we're on. We're on a great run right now, and um, I'm just going to try and enjoy the games. We've been playing a little bit frustratingly recently, but I'm not going to let that stop me. So, Justin, what about you? What do you think? I think I'm I'm confident in it. I will say, um, and I'll kind of get back to this point later. Um, I'm a little disappointed by the AP poll dropping us just for presence of Alabama. Um, you figure at this point with Alabama being at two, it's kind of a given. But uh, I kind of felt like the AP poll was going to be our friend and was going to keep us held there. There might not be too many similarities between them, but I think there are, and so I'll get back to that later. But why don't you get us started here with USF? Because the Bearcats, uh, they took care of business on the road. Um, wasn't exactly pretty, but it wasn't necessarily a close game as everybody would like to say it was, um, especially our friends, not so much friends in the committee. So we need a better name for this segment other than Steve's points. Uh, maybe we can figure <laughs> out some kind of football thing, you know. Uh, uh, 
We'll figure it out uh, next week. I'll come up with something better. Sorry, boss. I'll, I'll have the homework finished <laughs> for next week. Number one, though, I've got four main points and a couple of sub points on them. Number one, Desmond Ritter is back. Back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sorry to, for that and your ear, uh, headphones. Absolute but, mic destroying. Yes, <laughs> uh, but it was worth it. So after throwing one bad sideline pass that was tipped and picked, and after Michael Young fumbled on the first drive, uh, the passing game plan changed con- strictly to shorter throws in the middle of the field. So we were hitting a lot of inside guys, and then um, as he grew into that and grew more confident, uh, he was able to pass out more. Um, he had a couple long balls, too, that were dropped. Um but uh, like he, they were giving him passes that he could easily compete complete because Justin, we saw throughout the year that those outside passes were always kind of troublesome. Like they were usually getting completed, but then some faster DBs started making better plays on it. Uh, so now that that's out of the picture, if that's out of the picture, I think I'm very happy with that. The Trey Tucker jet sweep pass returned and it helped yes. tie the record with Gino for most. Uh, touchdown passes by a UC Bearcat quarterback. Uh, no more tight end passes in the flat. The three-yard pass that we always somehow managed to drop, there were none of those. A lot of uh, seams up the middle and uh, five-yard ins for Wiley and Taylor, which I'm a big fan of as a one-time eighth-grade tight end who only caught two passes, both on five-yard in routes. Um, I really enjoyed watching that. But... Uh, Pierce dropped two balls that could have been caught to bring up Dez's accuracy even more. Um, at, like the one was a deep ball that he should have had. Um, and then the second one oh, yeah. was a jump ball where he could have had, but defender probably made a good play, but usually Pierce makes both of those plays. Right. So um, this is imperfect, but I think I counted it up. Um, it, it might be that team, uh, like a, Spikes aren't included. Uh, Des went 31 of 39, uh, but on non throwaways and spikes, Des was 31 of 35. So, like, that's pretty damn accurate. And one of those is that interception, which, uh, you know, got over there, but obviously to the wrong team. So, right. um, I was pretty happy with what I saw with Des on Saturday, uh, on Friday night. And uh, obviously, he was pretty happy too. Uh, got back over 300 yards just when we both predicted him to not do that. Uh, so, you know, it happens. Second point, running back room is a stable of thoroughbreds. I saw someone tweet on Friday night that Coach Darren Page has just a stable of backs there, and I agree. Uh, Ron Ford was not able to play in this game, but we saw the likes of Charles McClellan, who also kind of got his bell rung and then got hurt, had to leave the game. And then Ethan Wright, and Ryan Montgomery. We've seen Montgomery a little bit more, but Wright's a younger guy. I think he's a sophomore right now. But both of those guys have been uh, clutch when Jerome Ford hasn't been able to play. And I was really happy to to see what uh, you know to see what Ethan Wright did. And he was just bowling guys over. You clipped a couple of his runs where he was just not going to let anyone stop him. He was going. Uh, and then we also saw that uh, Ryan Montgomery was. Uh, scored those two touchdowns, one on a passing route, kind of a flat route, but uh, he scored he scored on a reception and that 50-yard uh, uh, run to ice the game uh, with a minute left. Add a little style points. I called him style points, Monty, on the Twitter. 
Uh, but that running back room, man, that's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, now we got to get to the defense. Ugh. Ugh. Which, you, you know, hug, Justin, uh, I can give you the world's biggest uh, because <laughs> where, what, what, oh, what happened to our defense? Oof. Oof. So, so I think we are missing um, having Jarrell White uh, this year. I think we're also missing having uh, uh, against James Wiggins uh, in as a safety this year as well. Um, but I think the point has to be made that USF, give, give them credit. Uh, we gave them enough time. We gave that quarterback enough time to get out of the pocket and make plays uh, where we shouldn't have given him the time to get out and make plays. So uh, I can't get too upset about that. He's going to be pretty good uh, as as long as they keep going. The, USF might have a little something. I just don't think they had enough this year, but they have a little something there. Um, but once USF started completing more passes, the run defense kind of stopped showing up. So in the first half, I don't know if you noticed, um, they were playing th- the three three five, but they were bringing down either Brian Cook or Javon Hicks to play as a, a – kind of a seventh man in the box and the run game was pretty much stopped up for the first half. But then second half, as they started completing more passes, uh, the run game was able, the USF's run game was able to get out and compete. And they like, there was one, obviously that one touchdown was a pass play, but the guy just, we had four guys around the him and didn't, he didn't get tackled. So a little bit frustrating. Um, the three three five, I, I get it's a bend don't break, um, but it allows for so many like nine yard receptions on third and seven, right at sticks, right at the uh, receptions, right at the first down marker are just the bane of my existence. Because like, I think I am definitely spoiled, Justin, by last year's team. Where one, I don't think the teams in the conference were as good as they were this year. Uh, they were, I, I think everybody else kind of had a down year last year. And two, I think we were able to get home more. Um, and, you know, I think that's just another thing this defense has to do is we can't just rely on MyJ to get to the quarterback. We got to get Malik in there, got to get Jawan Briggs in there. Uh, we got to get some of these secondary guys. Uh, and I, I have to think that we will. I don't think it's we, we should be firing coordinators or anything. But, man, it's just like frustrating to see that only MyJ is getting in there. So, and uh, he's only gotten in there for sacks twice this year. Yeah. Um, so, I, and then the last thing, I think we've just had way too many long scoring drives that just absolutely kill the momentum. And uh, it was like we haven't been able to get teams off the field. Overall, my final point, overall much better performance than the past three, uh, past three games before this. We can still be playing better, as evidenced by performances against Notre Dame, Temple, and UCF. And four games were kind of just a swoon after playing pretty well for three straight games. Um, I would say the Temple game was probably our most complete performance because we didn't have many. uh, We didn't have. We might have had one turnover. We didn't really have that many penalties. Defense played great. Offense played great. Special teams played great. Um, Notre Dame, I think we still left a couple points out there, obviously when we fumbled and then the two missed field goals, we, we could have made it a lot worse on Notre Dame. Um, and then UCF, I think like, you know, there's a couple, uh, 
the third quarter of UCF and then the fourth quarter, the game is already in hand because we were up 35 nothing, 35-7 at halftime. But I would say the Temple game is probably the most complete game. But I think that just leaves us to the possibility that there is still another complete game to be played. And that if as long as we play up to our competition, as we've played down to our competition the past few weeks, I think we have a shot. So what do you think? Uh, how, how would you react to the USF game in those points? Um, I would say, in general, I think the USF game was a, another good like telltale game for us um, that shows where some of those gaps are. Um, I think the problem is that the biggest problem that we have is consistency, um, and it's not even just necessarily like a week to week thing; it's a quarter to quarter thing um, because we'll come out swinging. Or will be, you know, kind of stuffed uh, offensively, and then next thing you know, like defense could have the exact same problem where they come out, shut everybody down one drive, and then the next drive, um, you know, we're letting them burn us on, you know, like you said, those passes that we're getting receptions right at the first down marker, and so I think USF um, was a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a lack of preparedness, but. Um, I, I guess I would say it was more just kind of a surprise. I think I, I think we're giving we're giving ourselves too much credit for um, not playing up to the expectation, and I think that USF, you know, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, they really just came out giving their absolute best shot. I mean, everybody said this over and over again, so I don't want to sound like a you know broken record, but everybody's going to give Cincinnati their best shot. Um, and, you know, we are the marquee game on everybody in the American schedule this year. Uh, you, you know, it comes to SMU, even though they played Houston. SMU wasn't worried about Houston near as much as they're worried about us. And that's who we have this week, which we'll get into later. But um, I think we're getting everybody's best shot. And looking at a guy like, I mean, I have to say, I give a lot of credit to McLean. He looked great. He came out really rocky um, in that game, but he cleaned his game up and... Um, He's a stud. He's an athlete, and I, I really think that he could um, end up being a pinnacle player for not only just USF, but a kind of marquee player to watch in the American over the next few years. Especially once UC, UCF, and Houston are out of the conference, um, because then it's going to be up to SMU and USF to start a uh, sort of carry that weight um, and be the sort of bell cows of the American. So. Like I said, I I like what I saw from this game. Um, I think we definitely could have put up more. We had a couple missed opportunities, um, but Des definitely looked great. I will for sure agree with that. He was accurate. Um, he was on, um, and and I definitely liked seeing the versatility and the uh, use of options. Not just like not talking about the play, but the use of the offensive options because we've talked about that before. Um, sometimes it seems like we're just trying to throw it to Pierce and make something happen. Um, and everybody got their hands on the ball in this game, which is great to see. Um, I, I'd have to look at the exact numbers again, uh, to pull up the box score and look at that. But I just remember everybody's got their option or their, you know, hands in the bucket. And, um, and I think it was a great week, especially for the running backs too, because we got to see a little bit of that depth, um, similar to the same way, like. You know, with the 20, I always go back to the 2019 season. I think it's just a marquee, you know, kind of thing to watch for us, a uh, thing to relate back to. But with guys like Mike, uh, Chuck was on that team. 
you know, and Dokes was still on the team as well. Like, again, we we were producing these running backs that seemed to just, you know, you take one out, put another one in. It's not a well, we're missing that guy. It's you you've got a you've you've got a lot to offer at the one, the two, the three, the four, the five down in that depth chart, uh, which is great. So I really liked seeing that too. Um, but overall, I think USF was still a great game. People try to talk it down uh, because it's USF and their record, but at the same time, you know, the Bearcats put up points, and that's what matters. And above all else, the Bearcats are ten and zero. And again, like I said before, there's only three teams in the country that look like that, and that's UTSA, Georgia, and ourselves. So. I think that we should be happy about that. And I think that we should be um, thankful that we've (laughs) made it clean this far into the season. But I did notice that there was a lot of teams that seemed to have kind of shuffled back um, with wins. And a lot of times it's just being leapfrogged by a team that happens to have a more dominant win. Um, But regardless, it just always feels um, sort of counterintuitive to the point of, you know, polls being... Uh, I, I guess being judged always by shuffling metrics. There's never like one hard and true metric that seems to be used um, between polls. And that's really why a big part of my argument centered around like what happens when the CFP, you know, uses this metric versus the AP using this metric. And, you know, like I said, rankings definitely shouldn't matter, but ultimately when you come to poll season, it's going to be the one hard and true thing that's going to determine how your season ends. Um, or at least not even how your season ends, but you know what opportunities you get at the end of your season. Um, and I, I just, I like the CFP idea, but it's obviously very flawed. Um, and there's lots of things that need to be improved. More, more prevalent than anything, the structure of just the size of it. Um, we've, we can come back to this all the time, but... Ultimately, if you expand the playoff, you give more teams an opportunity. Um, and I just, I also feel like for a team like UTSA, it just sucks that they'll never have a chance to, like, it's not even necessarily having the ability to play against somebody else. It's the ability to prove that you could be at level with somebody else. Because for UTSA, they play all these, you know, lower conference teams. We will never know what happens. And not. I, I just say any, you know, like I say for NFL, any given Saturday for college football, it doesn't matter what team you are. Like, I think basketball is really the bigger one here, but you ultimately never have that real chance to prove that you could be better than the bigger teams, even if it's not consistently just for that one game um, to have that chance and have that opportunity. It sucks. It really sucks that a lot of these teams just will never get that chance. And for a team like UTSA to be denied that, I mean, what's the point of a playoff if there's teams that aren't going to have a shot? You know what I mean? I think it would be different if we just stuck to the BCS and there's like the top two teams, they're decided, nobody can argue it. And generally with BCS, like it was always hard, but I feel like with two, it was always clear. But then when you start mixing in four, then you're talking so many different teams could be involved. And then just go to 8, go to 12. Everybody's really got a shot. And if you didn't make the top 12, sorry. Like, you didn't make the cut. I I feel like that's fair. But to narrow so many conferences, what, 10 conferences plus down to, 
you know, four teams. It's just tough. So I think, uh, and I like the conference, uh, the recent model for the college football playoff expansion where it would be the five a five conference champions plus the you know group of five conference champion uh, the highest ranked uh, and then six at larges i mean i'm a fan of football i think that's great for more football and more college football games i've, I've realized recently that i'm more of a fan of uh, college football than nfl just because to me like an nfl you don't get fun games like Kansas beating Texas in Texas and right. Kansas fans shouting SEC SEC <laughs> at the can at, at the Texas people like just I don't know I I am such a big bigger fan of all the fun things that happen in college than in NFL NFL is definitely just a little bit too corporate for me um, mm-hmm. and I like the and it's why I like like college basketball I I mean I definitely respect that NBA is much better players, much better uh, offense and stuff, but it's just such like history and tradition and like the rivalries in those like college are just, to me, they're just more fun. And maybe it's just because I grew up more as a college sports fan than as NBA or NFL. But I think the, the whole idea of college, like you've, been hating your rivals for a hundred years is more fun to right. me. Um, but I agree. I think eventually we're going to go to 12. I think that's just going to happen. I think these people that are mad about it are, are mad, only mad because they couldn't add Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC went ahead and did it uh, while mm-hmm. the SEC was like planning this uh, behind the scenes. And now right. Do I think Texas is going to make the playoff anytime soon in a 12-team structure? No, I think they're broken. I think Texas is <laughs> reparably broken. Uh, Oklahoma could probably make it as long as they like keep their recruiting. I saw a rumor that Lincoln Riley might be going to coach at LSU, which would be a spicy meatball. Uh, yeah, no uh, kidding. Especially if uh, Oklahoma goes to join, goes you know once they join the SEC, the first game they play. Right. At, L- at Oklahoma with LSU being coached by Lincoln Riley, sign me up for that shit. Yeah, that's no awesome. kidding. But um, I don't know. I just I'm a bigger fan of twelve, and I think only problem with our college football argument today, even though the argument changes every day, people just assume because of that tradition and history that I talked about so much that. Oh yeah, this team will beat that team because that team hasn't been around as much as this team, and yada yada yada. I think we right. base too much on like when we're talking about the actual games, we base too much on tradition and not about the actual teams. And I understand that people like can't revolve their lives lives around football, and they don't exactly know like scheme this team runs or what like what defense this team runs, like what offensive coordinator this guy has, like all that stuff. It's it's hard in college football, but I think like you know we should just play it on the field. Uh, I saw the UTSA coach was like, "This is America. Let's just play it on the field and yeah. stop talking about it." That's a, that's a great point, and I, honestly, that's I think why I always go back to the NCAA tournament uh, for men's basketball and women's basketball as well. It's like you know, it doesn't matter who the hell you are. 
if you and and if honestly we could get the matchup where it's like UTSA versus Alabama, where you know you have in that scheme like a one to sixteen, you have the one to the eight or whatever it might be, or the one to the six seed. You know that we can get that matchup and just imagine. You know, remember what that uh, UMBC beating Virginia game felt like for the tournament. What was that? 2018, 2019. Just remember what that feels like. And now just imagine if it was a UTSA versus Alabama, the world would go freaking crazy. Somewhere in San Antonio, couches would be on fire. But again, you know, a lot of these fans just have to unfortunately turn a blind eye and just be happy with the season and always have to ask the question, what could have been? Same with something like UCF. They always ask what could have been. Unfortunately, they I think they did too much with their what could have been conversation. Um, but teams like Alabama and Ohio State and you know these consistent year-in, year-out teams who have been around for so long and have really been able to take advantage of the playoff system, they never have to ask that question because they either do or they don't. And I think that gray area, uh, gray area only affects everybody else on the underside of the table. So anyways, we talked plenty on that. Um, All right, listeners, now's the time we're going to splice in this interview this week. We've got none other than Trayvon Scott. His name goes without introduction, but regardless, we've got to list off some stats. We've got to list off some accomplishments because this is not just any ordinary Bearcat. Trayvon Scott, in his final year, was named the AAC's Defensive Player of the Year, the American's Most Improved Player of the Year, First Team All-AAC, and also snagged the Sportsmanship Award of that final year. He also managed to make the tournament team in 2019, Senior Class Award candidate, made Player of the Week, Honor Roll multiple times, and the most interesting stat above all else was that he played in 108 wins, which ranks second most all-time in school history behind Steve Logan. In his senior season, he started all 30 games, averaged 11 and 10, which made him the first Bearcat to average a double-double since Gary Clark, along with grabbing two assists and one and a half steals on the season with his defensive prowess. One last interesting thing to note before we jump into this interview is that this guy was on an absolute tear in his final season leading up right before the cancellation of the tournament. He posted four 20-point efforts over the last eight games of the season, averaged 17 and 13, shooting 50%, and managed to tally a 22-point, 21-rebound game against UCF, which made him the first Bearcat to do that since Kenyon Martin, putting him in absolutely elite company. All right, so this week we have the one, the only Trayvon Scott. If you don't know him, you're clearly not a Bearcats fan. Um, Honestly, one of my all-time favorites. I think Steve could say the same as well. Um, Sure, I appreciate that. You did a lot as a Bearcat, and um, we are eternally grateful and forever in your debt uh, for all the awesome moments that you gave us throughout the year. So just catch us up real quick. Tell us, you know, where are you at right now? What's going on? What's new? How has life been since graduation? Um, life's been great since graduating. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate y'all for reaching out and having me on, you know, the podcast. But, yeah, life's been great, man. I've been blessed. You know, God has blessed me and my family. 
Um, I'm signed. I just I signed an exhibit team with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I play. I'm on the Cleveland Charge as GD team at this moment. You know, working my way up top to you know where I know I belong. So you know that's fun. You know the journey I'm on is fun. And I mean I just been you know just grinding, man, just working, uh, trying to make my dreams come true, man. Staying out, staying safe, staying out of trouble. You know and Supporting the Bearcats as always, you know, supporting my sisters also. So, I mean, every, everything's going good for me right now. Man. I, I have no complaints. It's great to hear, too, that, you know, I feel like a lot of people get kind of a rocky start out of school and they're just kind of all over the board. And it seems like you've been yeah. able to stay consistent, staying at mm-hmm. least here around Ohio. Um, so, following your timeline, you were signed to Salt Lake City um, yep. with the Stars and uh, were able to play with them for that uh, this past season. And then mm-hmm not too long ago have just signed with Cleveland for the summer league and then now the G league affiliate. So what has the G league been like so far and what is it like kind of being back in Ohio now, uh, just up North? Um, it's been the G league is, is real fast paced. You know, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's so fast paced. You know, a lot of people think G league or they're, you know, they're not good. They're not this and not that or whatever, whatever opinions people have about the G league, but, it's a ton of great players here. You know, it's a ton of great players in this league. Um, you just never know how the game is going to go on any given night because, you know, every team has firepower, you know. Um, and just being back in Ohio, you know, it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm very comfortable out here in Ohio. So it's like, you know, I'm kind of, I, I tell people I'm like right in my backyard, kind of. I guess that's the right terminology. Like, like, yeah. So, you know, and I'm three hours away. I go, I drove, I've been down to Cincy a few times already. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in everything happened for a reason. So, you know, God put me in back in Ohio for a reason. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm thankful for the staff, you know, uh, the staff, the organization, the GMs, and everyone who, you know, giving me this opportunity with the Cavs organization and the Charge organization. So, I mean, I'm happy to be back in Ohio. You know, Salt Lake City it was fun. You know, being out there and playing with that organization, but you know, playing in Cincinnati, playing at University of Cincinnati, and just going basically a couple, a few hours up the, up the street and everything is nothing, you know, you can't beat that. So uh, we were able to watch you for uh, all five years at UC. I was hoping for you to get in a couple times during your redshirt year because uh, I remember, like, you were probably one of the last guys to have to take a redshirt, unfortunately. But, mm-hmm. uh, man, uh, over your time here at UC, you got to experience a lot of great moments. A lot of gr- You were part of a lot of great teams. What was probably mm-hmm. your favorite one? Favorite team or favorite moment? Which Sorry, one? favorite moment, yeah. Um, My favorite moment is – by far, just the game when it shot on senior night, you know, the putback. That's my favorite moment, man. Uh, I don't think nothing can beat that. Going out that way, you know, with the career I had there. Um, that that was that's by far like nothing comes close to that. You know, just hearing that was that was my last time hearing you know that that roar from you know the crowd and the student section and just seeing the looks on everyone's faces and, you know, my teammates and just how, you know, everyone rushed me afterwards. That was by far my favorite moment. Then doing it in front of, like, a lot of my family. I had a lot of family come to that game, you know, doing it in front of them too. It was, it was, it was unreal. It was unreal. That's my favorite moment. I'm, I'm going to jump on that real quick too, because we had another question about that specific mm-hmm. moment, but what was it like right there? Like, just kind of walk us through. You're seeing, you're seeing Jaron drive up, Going yeah. for the layup. And then so 
what's going through your head at that exact moment? You know, clock. All right. So what, what was going through my head was two things. We was about, we were, I knew we were going to win regardless, to be honest with you. I'm like, because if Jaren going downhill, he's going to either drive foul or he's going to make it. And I, and, or I'm like, I'm just going to clean up anything that come off the glass. That was my plan. And once I seen him, you know, take the bump and, you know, one, two and go up, I just crashed. I just, you know, no one boxed me out. I just kept going straight through and it came off perfectly in my hands. And it, you know, it, it happened exactly how it should have happened, you know? So I, honestly, guy, you know, I, I, I kind of knew that it was, we was in a good situation still, especially, you know, at the time when Jerry had the ball in his hands and it's me crashing. I'm like, something good is going to come from it. And it did. We won the game. Yeah. I, and, and so I have to say too, of all the moments as a Bearcat fan, I've been a Bearcat since I was born. Steve is the exact same way. We're uh-huh. Cincinnati guys through and through. That is one of the moments all in all that sticks out in my mind. Like I, I can bring, pin back to like Pike to Vins, the UCF game, and then that shot. Like those yeah, are yeah. the things for me that stick out. And, and so with that moment being so big, everything changed so drastically fast because, you know, COVID hit very quickly and all of a sudden everything kind of went dark and everybody was kind of left, you know, wondering what's that big, what if, you know, the cancel or the tournament got canceled. Everybody's just trying to figure out what's next. And so we were just kind of wondering at that moment, you know, what was your first thought and how did, how did you try to navigate through the next few months? Um, and then my, my first thought was, I can't believe this. My first thought was, why is this happening the year I'm supposed to come out of school? Like why now? You know, because I work not even, I'm not even going to continue to speak. Or, ah, like we work so hard as a team to, you know, get to the tournament. Number one, um, we won the conference first in the conference. Um, so we automatically automatic bid. And we I had some guys on the team who never made the NCAA tournament at the time. You know, we told them like, bro, you come here, we're gonna get you to the tournament. Like we're gonna get you there. You know, just seeing the looks on some of their faces when they found out when we all found out that uh we wasn't gonna be in the tournament and because it cause it canceled, it was kinda like you know, it, it was tough for real. You know, it was tough, you know, we was coming I mean, the, the energy and the wave around the team was so high at the time, and for it to cancel like that, um, it was tough. So, I mean, I got back to my room, and I, I, I mean, I already knew that, you know, I was still going to play ball afterwards, even with all this going on. You know, I was narrowing down the agents and stuff I was going to sign with, but it was, like you said, it was a huge like gray area of where of like what's next, what's going on. So, I mean, we got back. You know, I spoke to my family when, and. You know, my dad came up a few, like a week later, and we, you know, packed everything up. I went back to Georgia, um, and I was his home until, you know, I signed with an agent officially, and I moved out to Vegas to start my pre-draft training. So, I mean, I went through, you know, a, a lot of downtime, you know, that was not expected. Um, but, I mean, it, at the end of the day, I feel like it worked out now. You know, it's working out now. Everything's getting back to normal. Um, but it was a tough time, you know, when everything first started. It, it, was, it was real tough. And I went back to my room. I actually cried, to be honest with you. Like, I, I really cried, you know, because, I mean, I gave this game my all. You know, I love it. It's my job. I've Like, I never had a, a job. I had to clock in 9 to 5. My job was always basketball. And it is. So, you know, when the tournament was canceled and 
you know, the Portsmouth camp that I worked my behind off to get invited to, when all that stuff was canceled, I'm like, like I just couldn't believe, you know, it, it was heartbreaking for me. And I know plenty of other players also, but, you know, it's, it, it's working out, you know, things are turning back in my favor, I guess. Absolutely. I had a question for you about um, the the year before that, you know, the, there was another hard time. Sorry to bring up another hard part. No, nah, you did. Uh, so after the 2019 season, uh, Coach Cronin left to uh, go to UCLA. And, uh, I, you know, obviously he had some success this past year in the tournament. What was it like to see your college coach, the guy that recruited you to UC, uh, get a big break on that national stage like that? I was honestly happy for him. Like him and Coach Savino, uh, you know, I kept in touch with them, uh, you know, here and there. We, I'm not going to say a lot, but we spoke, you know, whenever we needed to. Um, and I was happy for him. You know, I, I was happy for him. I was rooting for him all the way. Um, and just seeing, you know, what he's done there, I'm like, like it, it was just amazing to see. It was, it was amazing to see, you know, how they started from a playing game to making the Final Four, you know, and – it was it was it was just dope to see. You know, I, I was happy for him. And I told him like, like man, I, I'm wishing you the best with everything. You know, whatever you do going forward. And hell, if I was a college coach, man, now opportunity like that came upon the coach at UCLA, like, you know, I, I'd do the same thing. You know, I'm pretty sure anyone would. So, I mean, in my opinion, it was tough when he left, but I think he made the right the right choice. And I'm pretty sure everyone else would say the same thing. You know, I'm happy for the success he, he's having out there. I was happy to see his dad in the crowd too, and like they oh, kept panning to Hep during the games. Uh, that Yo, was awesome. Hep, man, I, I love Hep so much. Like I love Hep so much. I love him so much. He's such a great guy, man. He, me and Hep, had a, we had a real good relationship, and seeing him in the crowd was also, you know, it was good seeing him too. Because I mean, I haven't spoken to Hep since you know Cronin left. I haven't spoken to him in so long. So just seeing him in the crowd during the tournament, you know, it kind of, you know, it brought a smile to my face. He's also been one of those, you know, kind of pinnacle characters in the crowd for so long at UC, and we really miss him too because mm-hmm. you know, it's everybody's got their family that they bring through, but it help was definitely different. Um, yeah. and, and with them leaving, we obviously got the new coaching change of Brandon, uh, which has, of course, changed again. But we were wondering what was it like trying to adjust to Brandon's system for your just your final year. You know, a lot of guys could would generally up and go, but what was it like mm-hmm. to try to stick around in Cincy, stick through a new system, new coach, new wave of everything? Well, I mean, I seen it as like if I would have transferred, I would have been going. I was going to a new system regardless, you know. And that year, you know, I spoke. I knew Jaren was coming back from the draft, and I talked to him, you know my guy Keith. Me and Keith are super close. That's you know my brother for real. And, you know, he told me that he was like, you know, I'm all in, you know, stay all in. And I'm like, well, like we started together. Like, you know, let's try to, you know, go out with a bang. You know, let's do it one more time. Let's see what it, what, what Brandon has to offer. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't – it really wasn't too tough for, in my opinion, well, with me personally, because, you know, I'm, I'm a smart player. I'm a smart person. So, I pick up and learn things fast. But as a unit – we, it, it was kind of, you know, tougher because we were so used to doing certain things the way Cronin wanted and the way, you know, the defensive stuff and, like, the going from playing, like, a matchup zone to man. And it was it was very different. And, and it was, like, a lot of small stuff, like, the way we, our stance is on defense, open and closed stance and this and that. Um, it took us a little, you know, we had, like, a, I mean, we had like a rough preseason, honestly, and, you know, in my opinion, you know, 
we had better. I can, you know, say that. Um, but once we got everything down packed, you know, once conference hit, you know, it was it was real fun. Um, the offensive, you know, the offensive portion of it, it was very fun. You know, and everyone bought into it, going towards you know the end of the season, and like it was fun. Like it, it was it was a fun, I most definitely because it was a fun game. You know, everyone, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of noise going on. You know about you know the branding and how this and that was, but. I can only speak on my experience there. It, it was it, it was a good it was a good year. It definitely was too, from our perspective as fans. Like every game was getting really close. I mean, there was what six, maybe even seven overtime games. So back there was back just back. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what what was that like too? Like just real quick. Like how was it? You guys are used to you know kind of dominating a game, or it was just a decided end. What was it like getting down to the wire so many times in that season? It was annoying. I'm not even gonna lie to you, bro. It was it was super annoying. Like it was fun, you know, you know, I know the fans, you know, they got their money's worth that season, but it was super annoying. It's like, man, can we just win the game? Like, can we just like, you know, just come on just win the game? And, but I mean, that just went to show honestly, you know, the fight that we had. Like, even though we were still figuring stuff out, we was always right there in every game and you know, a lot of we won we won a lot of overtime games, we lost a few, I'm guessing. Um, but it was fun though, man. It, it was fun. It was hella tired. Yeah. It, it, it was it was tired. It was a sport where, a sport where I was playing forty one minutes a game. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I, I don't. I'm like, yo, we got to stop doing this overtime stuff, man. Just go ahead and win the game. You know, we we probably they, they gave us a name like the cardiac cats, like saying they're gonna have heart attacks and the, all cardiac, <laughs> all kind of crazy stuff. But it was fun, man. It was something that I've never experienced before in my life ever. And I know everyone on the team can say the same, but. You know, it, it was a dope. It was a dope experience. So uh, we saw that you uh, came back this summer to uh, to play uh, at, at at Fifth Third with some of the guys of uh, mm-hmm. past. And I was just curious, like, what your thoughts are on uh, Wes Miller? If you got a chance to talk to him at all? Yeah, I, I, I met Coach Miller in Dallas this past summer when I was doing some, you know, my my training and stuff out there. And I love Coach Miller. Like, I I I love his energy. I love the way he think. I love the way he think the game. I just love like the way he approaches the game. You know, from like the time and the stuff that I met him um, and been been around him. Um, and one of the first questions I was asking him was, "Is the guys on the team bought into what you're, you know, what you're trying to do?" And he said, "Oh yeah, everyone's bought in." So from that that point on, I knew that it was gonna, you know, they're gonna have a good year if they trust him and you know follow his lead. Um, you know, they they have a great a successful year, but just him as a person, man, he's so nice and open with everything and the way he wanted, he wants to interact with, like, the former players, uh, bring them in, have us, you know, allowing us to use the facility still, play up a gym with the guys. Man, he's, 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 hey, man, he, he's a Bearcat, you know, he, he, he's a Bearcat. That's Bearcat energy, in my opinion. Um, and I think he's going to, you know, get the program back to where it was, you know, where it belongs, and that's on top. So, you know, shout out to Coach Miller and his staff. We also wanted to ask you something, too, about, now that you're, you know, at the next level, how have you had to change your game? You know, you're seeing all these changes in G League. It's different than college. What are the specific changes that you've had to make in order to, you know, stay above the competition? Um, the biggest change that I've made was my diet. That's number one. You know, that's a lot of that's that's what a lot of people, you know, take for granted and don't doesn't really you know it's not serious about the biggest thing that. I wanted to change personally was my diet um, with, you know, more energy, eating the right foods, really putting the, you know, right things in my body. 
now that I'm really, you know, competing against some of the best athletes in the world in the sport of basketball, game of basketball, um, you know, I got to make sure I'm in shape every single night. You know, I step on the court and, you know, that I, I feel good. My body feels good. So that was one of the biggest things. And another, obviously, you know, playing at this level, you know, shooting the ball and just being able to space the floor. And um, honestly, that's the biggest thing, just being able to space, space the floor, shoot the ball, and just understand the game. You know, it's not, you know, in college, you know, we used to crash for the offensive rebounds. And I was like, no crash and get back. And, you know, just being able to learn and adapt to things on the fly, you know, in the, in the, on the fly of a game, timeout, whatever it is, you know, being able to, you know, adapt real fast and quick and, you know, so, I mean, it's not a lot. Me personally, it's not a lot that, you know, that I really had to change. But, I mean, my diet and just, you know, shooting, being more offensive, being more of an offensive threat, not just defensive threat, you know, was is the two biggest things that I had to change personally. So uh, one last thing for you. Uh, the, the game before your senior night game, uh, the game at South Florida, uh, oh, yeah. Near the end of the game, when you went up to go uh, get your own rebound and uh, mm-hmm. put it back, and uh, the other coach got a T called on him because he was like so upset. I don't have a question. I just wanted to let you know that uh, you actually DM'd the Barstool account back then uh, for the video oh, of it because we exactly, clipped it right. and I sent it. I, yeah. I was the one that sent it to you. So okay, cool. I just wanted to say, man, like that was an awesome play. So. <laughs> yo, crazy, crazy thing is, yo, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I, I plan to do that. I, I plan oh, really? to do it, but I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yo, I, I had like 19 points and like nine rebounds or whatever. I'm like, yo, I want, I want 20 and 10. So I'm like, I wonder <laughs> if I shoot this free throw up the front rim, they're not expecting it, and just get it back and like dunk it or lay it in. And I'm like, knowing me, I'm like, you don't just, just shoot the free throw, just make it, or whatever. <laughs> like, don't even do that. And as I go to shoot the ball, I'm watching the, like, the rotation of how, where's the ball going to hit. I'm like, like, dang, I actually have an opportunity to do what I just thought about. So when the ball came off, I just took off. And I'm like, and it actually it worked out. That's why if you see the clip, I'm clapping and like smiling and laughing like so hard in the, in the clip. I'm just like, bro, I cannot believe I just thought about doing that. And it actually happened. So that was, that was, that was crazy. You know, I had a lot of people DM, DM me. A lot of people called me. A lot of people reached out about that. I was like, yeah, that was one of the craziest players I've seen. And I'm like, yeah, that was probably the craziest thing I've ever done in the game. So, <laughs> I've got to say, man, of all the things, you know, that you were able to provide us, all those moments that you were able to provide us as Bearcats fans, again, mm-hmm. we are super grateful just for everything that you were able to do for us and just make the Bearcats basketball team fun. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's always been an exciting thing for us, but to really have, a, you know, a player that we can rally around, especially – in a time where things were changing so fast, you were able to do that for us and you gave us those mm-hmm. big moments. So we wish you the absolute best of luck, man. It's, we really want to see you just keep progressing and get to that next level and keep going. Yeah. So from us, keep grinding, keep playing hard. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to that next level. Yeah, we're going to be watching you on it. Yeah, we're going to be watching on ESPN Plus this year with the Cleveland Charge. So yeah, man, I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, I, I really appreciate it, man. And you see, University of Cincinnati, man, the basketball, the school, the city in general, it changed my whole life, you know, changed my family's life also. Um, and I'm so thankful that, you know, I was able to go to, you know, one of the top 10 college programs in the history of college and, you know, leave my mark the way I did. And, man, I, someone asked me if you had, if I had the opportunity to do it all over again, would I, put, would I pick Cincinnati? 
And I told him without a doubt, I, I, I'd do it all over again, man. So, you know, I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep working. But mark my words, I'm most definitely going to get to that next level and be where I belong. So, and I'm going to always come back and support and be around Cincinnati and help out in any way I can. So, you know, thank you guys for having me on. And I'm wishing the best of luck to y'all and y'all career and everything, too. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Trey. Appreciate it, man. For sure. Speaking of a little bit of basketball, uh, we just watched the end of the Alabama A&M game where the Bearcats got another dub starting off 3-0, and 3-0 in fifth third this year, extending that streak to a number I can't even think of right now at the moment. But regardless, West Miller is 3-0. They brought out the red jerseys for the first time out of the West Miller era. And David DeJulius went off certifiably secured that dub. So Steve, I, I, I got to know um, after we might have to rewind here a little bit because we also had Georgia, which we need to cover as well. Um, so we'll try to make both of them quick to not linger on one too long, but what did you see that you liked from this game? So I did like that we shot the ball better. DDJ had a DDJ game. Uh, it was, uh, he played really well and I was happy for him. And I also was happy that uh, once Wes called a timeout with like 17 minutes left and had like an angry timeout, uh, <laughs> it seemed like the defense kind of uh, shut it down from there. Um, but I think I didn't like that. And then we can tie this back into the Georgia game real quick. We can, why don't we just uh, recap these both in kind of the same, same yeah. speed, just because it's, yeah. the you know, kind of similar. So, uh, the only thing I didn't like is that in our first two games, we only, uh, we allowed zero second chance points against mm-hmm. Evansville and Georgia. I think Alabama A&M had 20 second chance points. And yep. maybe it was just because like we got in foul trouble early. I know Ado got in some early foul trouble and uh, I don't know if Koval was there um, to clean that up at all, but that's just a lot of points. And I know we're not going to mm-hmm. give up zero second chance points, but that is just a lot of points. Uh, a sec- 20 second chance points, which was almost a third of their total 66 points. So got to clean that up. Last break points, 14. Points in the paint, 28. Points off turnovers, 14, uh, 21. And bench points, 40. So I think uh, you can be happy with all those numbers. I just threw out a word salad, I know. But um, I think we can be happy with those numbers and I don't think we can expect them to just play a perfect game every time in the West Miller area era. There's just going to be a couple of down games. And as long as we keep winning those games, I'm good with it. You know, um, I do have a tactical question though. Why do you think we brought out the red jerseys this early? It seems like way too early for those. And I would have, uh, our friend Connor pointed out that he would have rather seen them against Georgia instead of against like Alabama A&M. I think, I think we played really well in this game, and I think the uh, red jerseys were the only reason why. So ultimately, we have to just say that jerseys are the only reason we win games. Um, Helmets are the only reason we win games or lose games. Um, I have to fight back that crowd. I'm sorry (laughs) for anybody who's in that crowd. If you believe that uh, jersey color or anything has to do with anything, the only only time that that will ever matter is when we play against Xavier. We have to wear red. 
anything other than red is wrong in my mind. But fair enough. Well, so here's my the one last thing I liked from the game as uh, here's some quantifiable num- uh, numbers to show that we shut it down in the second half. So first half uh, shooting percentages for Alabama A and M, forty one percent from two point land, uh, two for three from three for sixty six. Uh, 67% and 100% uh, from the free throw line uh, on six attempts. Second half, only 33% uh, from the field, one for seven from three-point land, and 73% from the line for Alabama and A&M. So I think we were getting out more on the on the three-point line, and they were taking advantage uh, in the short range, and we were able to shut that down. Their best player was uh, Jalen Johnson, um, who had 30 points, and you know, the rest of the team had 36. So I think if we're going to play these games, and it was kind of similar to, uh, I forget the guy's name, I'll look it up real quick, but in the last in the Georgia game, there was a, a player for Georgia who had, uh, I think he had 24 points out of their 68. So if there's only going to be one player that goes off each game, I'm okay with that. It's just making sure that he doesn't facilitate more offense for the rest of his team. Not something that we usually see from an individual performance against the Bearcats, no matter who you are. Um, So that was interesting. My one thing that I really wanted to point out with this game, uh, really two stats, was just the three-point percentage and the free-throw percentage. I know it's Alabama A&M, and it's not like this was against Georgia, but 39% from the three. 80% 80% from the line and 47% from the field. That is just efficient offense, efficient three-point shooting and paying attention to free throws in practice or whatever they did to convert them in the game because ultimately your three-point percentage and your field goals, you can blame on anybody. Your free throws, you cannot blame on anyone but yourself. Your free throws you have to make, and if you don't make those, sorry, that's your fault. There's a reason they're called free throws. Um, but I really liked those numbers, um, and I think they were a big improvement, especially from the 20% from the three that we saw against Georgia. Um, but the Bearcats look solid. Almost cracked the 90 uh, for the first time under the West Miller era, um, which uh, it's been a while since we've seen the 90 mark, uh, especially without an overtime. But... Uh, it's nice to see all the options working on the floor for the Bearcats. Um, one thing I do want to point out, too, um, against Alabama A&M and against Georgia and I'm pretty sure against Evansville, not a single player has cracked 30 minutes on the floor for the Bearcats, um, which is one other really interesting number because that's not something that we're used to here, especially when we had, you know, the years under Mick and the years um, under Brandon. Players who were starters would log the big minutes, and the bench was really just there to give those guys a rest for a minute or two until they were ready to go back out. Uh, Wes uses everybody, and, you know, if I'm just reading down this list uh, in no particular order with no particular name, 15, 27, 26, 28, 26, 3, 15, 12, 12, 14, 22. Like, that's the whole depth chart. So, so many people are getting involved. And then against Alabama, those same numbers were 15, 26, 23, 25, 21, 11, 17, 20, 1, 3, 17, 20, 1. So, 
it's clear that the bench is able to get involved and it's not just picking one guy or two guys or three guys or just even that starting five that's going to log all the minutes um, as we've you know used to see with so many of our past teams. Uh, everybody gets involved and everybody gets a chance to really shine. Um, and I, I really, really like what I'm seeing so far from Wes. And it's, it's an everybody plays kind of coaching system, um, which some people would be concerned about uh, as far as um, you know, reaching too far into your depth, uh, especially with injuries that could pop up. Um, I'm still yet to see anything on McGinnis. Um, I know he went down during the game. Have you seen anything on that yet? Uh, no, I'll check Justin Williams' Twitter account, um, but I have not seen anything. Gotcha. Yeah, he, he went down, grabbed his knee, um, and went out, Bob Manjean, and uh, some support took him off the court into the locker room. But um, that would be my only concern about playing through so much of your depth chart is somebody like that farther down could go down and that could kind of pin you later on. Um, but hopefully he's healthy and we won't have to worry about that issue. But regardless, takes a lot of the weight off of your starters. Yeah, so real quick, um, uh, Miller said A.J. McGinnis rolled his ankle as well. He was in a boot after the game. Uh, they would. They, Wes said that they would hopefully know more tomorrow. Uh, previous tweet, uh, uh, Victor Locken did not play tonight. Wes Miller yep. said that Victor Locken rolled his ankle before the Georgia game but was able to play through it. So he had that game. On a swollen ankle, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Wes said it swelled on him after swelled up on him after the game. Miller said they were being cautious on holding him out tonight. Doesn't seem serious long term. So maybe uh, Alabama A and M doesn't get as many second chance points if Victor Lockin is able to uh, rotate in every now and then. Uh, so I wouldn't be too concerned about the that performance tonight. And I think they obviously they got it fixed by by the end of the game. They won by a. a good 23 points but um i think it just you know not having uh lock in tonight probably didn't help that i also uh checked the uh i i i get i did a clean sweep tonight i got all three all three guys really yeah oh shoot hold on all right now i gotta look at this again i know that i did not i took a little bit of a uh risk there also i was kind of screwed from the uh, no, non-play of Vic there in that game, but you cleaned house. Basketball is my sport. Why am I, why am I think I'm talking about football? That is impressive, honestly. Aguama led with eight rebounds. Julius dropped 21, and Micah led an assist. Wow, that's impressive. I got to say, you did a pretty good job picking those out. Maybe I have to just start mirroring all your picks. <laughs> Um, see, see, now here's the here's the worst part. Next week you'll probably just like, just because of that you'll hit a dud. True. Well, so uh, <laughs> the only thing I didn't didn't get tonight was the thirty percent three point attempts. So, which I did steal. I felt that one coming. I knew that twenty was way too low against Georgia, and West was going to kick their ass if they didn't make more threes. And they came. I was. I got to say too, real quick. They came out. I think in the first half, like six for nine, maybe six for ten or seven for ten. They were hitting them, and it was just raining threes. And Davenport also looked like he was going to drop a. I thought he was going to drop a twenty point game the way he came out the window, but or uh, you know, came out the gate. But ultimately, Bearcats played really well against Alabama A and M. They played well against Georgia too. Um, nothing necessarily was too sloppy in either game. End to end, you know, dominated. 
We held off a late rally from Georgia as well. Uh, Hayden had that nice IC3 to uh, make sure they we staved off the rally from Georgia. Um, but ultimately, I think that we've played great basketball so far this year. And it's how can you? It's hard to pick out any any downsides. You know, usually in the first few games, we can kind of just we we really wait until Xavier. I think is when we start freaking out <laughs> about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But ultimately, I think this team has proven that they're they're uh, different, definitely different. This is not you know your typical Cincinnati team, and this is a much more um, involved end-to-end team. So I like what I see. Um, I f- I hope that I can say that every single week on this podcast about this basketball team. I like what I see. Uh, interesting enough. Uh- the uh, gave the top performer of the game um, on uh, the the score app. The, they give top performers for each team. Uh, yeah. Jalen Johnson won the award for Alabama A&M with his 30 points and seven rebounds. But interestingly enough, I guess uh, it's the highest stat accumulator. John Newman, uh, solid game tonight for the Bearcats. Eight points, five rebounds, five assists, two steals. Like that's putting up numbers in different areas that, and like that's an all-around kind of guy. Which uh, I know we're big fans of as Cincinnati fans. Uh, we're uh, we like seeing that. Um, I was excited to see. I was kind of surprised to see Madsen zero for five tonight. That maybe it was just yeah. an off night for him. Uh, Eighteen minutes. Um, well, let me ask you one more question, and then we can move on. Yeah, for sure. Who has been the player that you have been most excited to watch this year, like, or most impressed by so far? Ooh, that's tough. See, and this is the worst part about this question is because everybody gets used on the bench, so everybody gets a chance at this kind of uh, question. But honestly, somebody, I, I'd have to say that Aguama has impressed me the most. Um, I haven't really talked about him much as like an individual, but you know, Davenport, we expected to come out firing on all cylinders to Julius. We expected to have, make big improvements. You know, he's kind of the stud veteran of the team. Um, and all around, like there were some different guys, but really Aguama has been that big surprise for me. He's just so bouncy. He gets after the ball. He is everywhere. I'm honestly surprised that he doesn't have like three blocks a game with just how involved he is everywhere. Um, And he's just able to cut off, you know, cut off anyone who wants to drive into the paint and he's able to get after any rebound that he wants. Um, And his scoring too is very versatile. Um, I, everything that I see from him is really impressive. And I'd say that he's definitely impressed me the most because I was not expecting that from him. Um, especially for a guy who's just we ha- really hadn't seen yet. So, um, what about you? Who's impressed you the most? Well, you took mine. I was going to say Odie, but um, just from watching uh, in different spurts that I have, I'm going to say Abdullah Doe. Uh, I think uh, bouncy is another good word that I would describe for him. I think he's probably the most agile UC center that I've probably watched within the last five years. No, res- uh, no disrespect to uh, Chris Vote or. Uh, Nicier Brooks or Elias Osemi, uh, any of the guys, uh, you know, I, even like Octavius Elias or uh, Coriante DeBerry, I think uh, Ado is like my, maybe one of the most agile centers that UC's ever had. And it kind of stinks that we're only going to have him for a year. But right. 
Um, I think like just some of the post moves I saw him pull off on uh, last Tuesday and last Saturday were like kind of pretty good. He was trying to dream shake a couple people and go right mm-hmm. and then turn around and go left, or he would you know do things where it was like you know backing down, but he it wasn't like a stiff back down. He was kind of just like agile and he was able to like move pretty well. So for a guy of his size, uh, he wasn't, he's not like a completely stocky guy either. He's kind of, kind of lean, kind of skinny, and he's able to move and run down the floor and defend well too. So I think you got to be happy about, uh, Abdullah Doe. And I think they found someone there. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty happy about that pickup. What's, and I like, and don't get me wrong, I've loved how DDJ has played. I'm always going to be a fan of Jeremiah Davenport. Um, and then Mason Madsen uh, for for staying, too. I'm a big fan of his. But I think it says a lot that we both picked new guys and uh, new yeah. guys who are, you know, might only be here a year or, you know, uh, Odie's probably going to be here for two years. But I, th- and I, we, neither of us mentioned John Newman, but I think John Newman could be there too. Uh, I think he's yeah. just been kind of more of an all around guy. He hasn't done one thing like particularly well, but I think the best thing uh, about this team, energy is contagious around yes. this team. And it's just a lot of energy from a lot of guys. And I think that's just fun. You know, I, I can't really say I watched UC basketball in the nineties. Cause one, I was born in 96 <laughs> and two, I would be lying if I told you I remembered anything before 2001, before my, <laughs> my, uh, when I, before I turned five. Um, but I feel like the only thing with those Mick teams was that they were very energetic, but it was energy on the defensive end. And, right. you know, then they, they would get into their set uh, on offense and kind of slow it down, keep, keep the game slow and try to work the best shot. Less, they're trying to get a shot off in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock and then try to get the rebound. And I think the thing I've liked too is like seeing Mikey, like Mikey had a steal and then a bucket on uh, Saturday against Georgia after uh, we were down by, I believe it was like 19 to 13. This was right, right as the 17 0 run started in that game. Mikey had a steal, drove right down for a bucket. Uh, we had another steal where uh, it was Jeremiah or Mikey driving down, and then they uh, whoever it was passed off uh, Mike Adams-Woods, and he went down and got a bucket. John Newman got a bucket. Uh, Victor Locken missed a three. Odie missed a, a putback, and then Locken came in and um, stuffed a dunk. Uh, and, like, you know, he kept rolling. And at 17-0 run for a team that's only been together for – practices and one game uh one official game before that is pretty impressive i'd say yeah and it's all that georgia is probably not the best team ever but they're not they weren't horrible they've got athletes they've got good players and they're coached by tom crean who i still think is a good coach so man it was cool uh it was just fun to watch it felt like energetic it felt fun to watch bearcats basketball and not that it wasn't fun to watch mick and you know like the Jaron year was definitely fun. It was a different sort, a different kind of fun to watch them be energetic and run and gun and uh, play, play some press, play some good defense, but just the energy was awesome. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be our big staple this year is just 
there's one word we come back to for this team is energy because uh, clearly it's when you when you're able to reach so far into your depth chart and get involvement from everybody it's nice to see and it's nice to not just have to have um if i'll go back to my one just one of my all-time favorite moments as a bearcat fan watching is logan johnson smacking the floor that kind of energy i would <laughs> i would love to see that raw just like i'm gonna beat the shit out of you kind of energy again but uh this team provides energy in all assets um in all different um aspects i'm sorry all different aspects um and so it's nice to just have a team that's involved everywhere but uh, we want to finish off here with just a quick preview of SMU. Um, this is the uh, marquee game for us this season uh, so far uh, after Notre Dame, of course. But SMU, they're probably going to be on upset watch for a lot of people. Uh, SMU is no schmuck. Um, they did drop two games in a row to Memphis and Houston, um, which were both very close games. Um, the Memphis one, I think they just let get ahead of them. Um, and Houston, uh, Houston clearly just looks strong as, as just a strong opponent. Um, but they beat the crap out of UCF, which is great. Um, so ultimately, uh, what to expect from SMU? We got an eight and two SMU team here. Um, they're letting up about 400 yards a game um, and racking up about 500 a game. Um, so they're definitely a great offensive team. As far as defensive, not so much. Um, and the Bearcats are generally much better at limiting point totals there um, and yardage totals. But I think that we should be able to see a good, good, solid game against SMU, especially at home. I'm not really too worried about this one. There is always going to be that lingering question in the back of my mind because, of course, you know, we look ahead to the week after that is what ECU. So against SMU, this is our last real test um, and our last real chance to prove ourselves before the end of the season until we get to championship week. So uh, other other than, you know, maybe a threat from Mordecai trying to go off uh, for SMU, I think that if we can limit him uh, defensively, we should have a pretty, hopefully, dominating game. I hope so. Uh, and I think only problem for me is that SMU rushes for about 175 yards a game. And I think as long as we can figure out the rushing problems from previous years, then I think we'll be okay. And obviously we play well at home um, but you know what i'm just gonna hope that we can really put this together and close out the final three games of this season with some really good wins um now the line started at 12 and it's now down to 11 we'll keep it at 11 and a half for our picks later but um i'm, I'm not really too concerned about that i think that's people uh finally you know betting against the bearcats after four weeks and you know betting that trying to be on SMU because they don't think the Bearcats can cover more than two to, uh, a two touchdown spread. Um, so defense uh, per game, uh, SMU is averaging 170 rushing yards and 329 passing yards. Um, I don't think they can go at sauce either. <laughs> I I don't think anyone can really. So <laughs> I'm just interested to see who 
they try to attack. Um, they'll probably try to attack Kobe or try to get some deep threats going. Um, but I think SMU has definitely, like, they flirted with a loss against Navy as well. Um, they should have lost the game against Louisiana Tech earlier this year until they ran an absurd Mary tip play to win the game, um, which was crazy. And then um, I think they like they looked bad in a loss against uh, uh, Memphis, and they looked they looked good last week in a win against UCF. But UCF has uh, been letting up a lot of big wins uh, these days, so that's been. A bit tough. Uh, um, so I think Justin, the plan here is to obviously do what we keep telling them to do: get off the field. Don't let SMU go on long drives. But SMU isn't really that grinding team that you know. And like they will, they'll play that way in order to try and win this game. They'll try and play like the other teams have played in order to win. But as long as they try to go go at our secondary, uh, I think we we should feel a lot better, and especially the fact that we're going against a better team, we should feel a lot better. Absolutely, and I, I think that really is a good good way to summarize how we're going to walk into some of our picks here, because um, you know <laughs> SMU could be could be dangerous, but I think ultimately we should take care of business. We got a couple questions here. We're going to make these quick, uh, try to drop our explanations for sake of time and just kind of go with our pick. Um, but I'm going to ask you here real quick, uh, who you got for your receiving leader this week? Um, I have to think that Alec Pierce will feel better after uh, having a rough game last week and kind of being taken out of the game plan a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to say that Alec Pierce will, have, will be the uh, receiving leader. How about you, Justin? Every time I pick Pierce, it's not him. And every time I go against Pierce, it is him. So um, I'm just going to, I'm going to roll with, I'm going to roll with Alec this week too. I really do think that he'll have a uh, more solid week. Um, How about your turnover creator? I am going to say that Joel DeBlanco will pick up uh, a turnover this week. Like he, like he picked up a fumble last week. Who's your turnover creator, Justin? I'm going to go with Deshaun Pace. He usually just seems to be in the right place, right time for either an interception or even on a fumble. So I'm going to roll with Deshaun for that one. Rushing yards. Do you think that we're going to, do you think that we're going to surpass 170 in this game? Um, I, I'm going to say no. Uh, I think we're going to have to get the, some of this done through the air. Um, hopefully Jerome Ford is back to full strength, but um, I, I, I will be happy to be proven wrong, of course, but I think if we keep it to about uh, around that 150 number, that, that's a tough number. So <laughs> I know you kept telling me not to give explanations, but this, I guess this is what <laughs> it's I hard do. not to. It's hard not to. I mean, you gotta, you gotta make explanations anyways. So with that, I'll, I'll go with you on that. I agree. Um, it's a no. And my main concern is just the, um, just the still question marks with Jerome Ford. Um, not really knowing whether or not he's going to be at 100% is my biggest concern. So I'm going to go no on that as well. Um, now, as for our good man, Desmond Ritter, do you think that he's going to be able to eclipse three touchdowns this week? Um, I think he's going to have to. Uh, I think he will. 
have to you know get the ball around to uh, Wiley, Michael Young, uh, hopefully my guy Alec Pierce, but uh, Lanny Taylor, even to Trey Tucker with that uh, little sweep sweep uh, toss out of the backfield. Maybe even Jerome Ford or Ryan Montgomery. I think you'll have to figure that out. Uh, but yes, I'm going to say that he will get uh, three touchdowns. Gotcha. I am going to agree with you on that. Um, I'm sticking with that. Game plan is just you've got to be able to score. Um, SMU clearly can do it. Um, last real question before we get to spread and score. We asked last week, will a receiver have two-plus touchdowns? I'm just going to open this up. Will anybody other than Dez have two-plus touchdowns as an individual? Um, so that could be rushing or um, you know, receivers, whatever it might be. I'll say no. Gotcha. I don't really I have am... a good reason, so I'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say yes, um, only because we did see so many different opportunities, um, especially with the rushing, you know, depth. Uh, if Ford is or is not playing, I think uh, it really shouldn't matter as far as our running backs go. So I think that I think a running back might be able to uh, snag one of those, whoever that might end up being for the day. So yes, there. Uh, as for spread, the spread currently sits at eleven and a half. What do you got? You think we're going to cover? Uh, we've been, again, uh, screwed pretty much every time on the spread. So um, I, I I really don't even know what to do for these anymore because I just can't win that. Justin, I, I quickly compiled our last um, four years of uh, against the spread. 2018, 10-3 uh, and three season. Uh, seven and six against the spread. 2019, 11 and three season, nine and five against the spread. Last year, nine and one season, six and four against the spread. This year, obviously 10 and 0 so far, five and five against the spread. So um, this is the week where it changes, Justin. This is the week where I say they're going to have to come out defiant, and I believe that they will cover the spread. How about you? I have to agree with you there. I think that this. This is the I think this is the game that we've really been preparing for. Um and I you know of course Fickle's going to prepare them every week and he's never going to say one week matters more than the next, but uh this this game is one where they really have to prove themselves and um you know if you're talking CFP conversation, if you're talking bowl conversation, whatever it might be, you need to beat the crap out of SMU. It's going to be hard, but I think they're definitely going to cover an 11 and a half point spread. So I'm going to say yes there as well. Um, last one. Give me your final score prediction. I will say that the Bearcats are going to win 35 to 21. I think it's going to be hard to keep SMU completely off the scoreboard, but if I'm following along with my other picks uh, of Des having more than three touchdowns, but no person having touchdowns on their own, and the Bearcats covering the spread, that is the uh, calculation I came up to for that score. How about you, Justin? What's it going to look like on Saturday for the, on the scoreboard? I'm going to have to say 
that the Bearcats defense is definitely going to try their best, but I think that SMU is still going to try to throttle them as hard as they can. I'm going to go with 28 SMU, 42 Bearcats. I keep coming back to the 40s, um, but I think I think we can snag. I think we can snag a 40 40 bear. Ugh. Blah, blah, blah. Can't speak here. A forty burger for this game. So you heard it here, folks. Those are all our picks. Um, we're just going to release our picks for the next basketball game because we just can't cover everything with all the shortness of time, especially with our uh, interview with Trey this week because we had some extra time on the clock. So I think that covers just about anything. You got any closing thoughts here, Steve? I really don't, other than. Uh... It's been a really good couple of weeks for UC basketball. Um, the women's team, unfortunately, did lose today, but UC still has the is the only school in the country with an undefeated men's basketball and football program. So that being said, go Paracats. Let's have another great week. Absolutely. Hopefully we can keep the steam engine rolling. And with that said, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed all the little bits and tricks of our podcast this week. Uh, once again, a huge thank you to Trayvon Scott uh, for coming in to interview with us. He was great. Um, you guys might not be able to see it on that end, but he had a big old smile on his face the whole time. So it's definitely always great to catch up with Trey um, and really, really thankful that he was able to join us this week. So once again, if you're not following us already, follow us at Viva La Cats Pod on Twitter and IG to stay up to date on all things Bearcats, as well as follow Steve at UC Uniforms. And you can also follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to stay up to date on our newest episodes. We will be releasing on Wednesdays still from here on out, uh, abiding any changes. We will let you know ahead of time, but it's been great. Thank you guys for sticking with us this long. If you're listening still, have a great week. Go Bearcats. Let's beat the crap out of SMU. Let's do it.